Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today we're going to be talking about what I learned when I took the weekend seminar on suicide prevention from the online academy called Mental Health Academy. If you've never heard of Mental Health Academy, they are online uh, educational service for mental health professionals, but also any of you can log in, sign up, and you'll have access to hundreds, if not thousands of videos on, uh, you know, from top researchers and psychologists talking about anxiety, depression, suicidality. Once a year, they put on a suicide prevention workshop. It's a two-day workshop. Uh, this year was uh, this past Saturday and Sunday, and they bring in all the top speakers, leaders, uh, people who have lived experience uh, with suicide attempts, and they share what they've learned or, or and, and um, the, the state of suicide prevention today. And I attended last year and I shared that information with you. And so I'm going to do the same thing today. And when I looked at my notes, I realized uh, it's too much to put in to one episode. So I'm going to try to chunk some of the talks together into two to three episodes and we'll see how it, it pans out. The first speaker was Jonathan uh, Solinger, who spoke about suicide AI. And also, I'm going to link to the Mental Health Academy in the show notes so that if you, I think it's $10 to, to watch the videos. If you want to pay the $10 to log in, you can watch these videos. And so I will share with you the, the topic so that if you go, oh, that I would be more interested in learning about that, you can go in and then find that. Uh, so this is, is, his topic was called Suicide AI by Jonathan Solinger. I think that's his name. I can't read my own handwriting. That's embarrassing. Um, but anyway, the one interesting thing he talked about was how with AI and chatbots, we can put in our journal entries from high school, from years ago, you know, even uh, currently, and the more of our journal entries that we put in, the more effective that AI can be at detecting when we are in a suicidal state and also can be more effective in responding to us when we are in a suicidal state. And they're thinking of incorporating this and using this for you know the suicide prevention hotlines and uh, because a lot of people don't, uh, call, they text, or, or uh, you know, they do a chat. And so this would improve the AI's response and uh, ability to detect when someone is close to uh, self-harming themselves, which I thought was pretty cool. I never thought about AI being used for that. And then also they're using AI as a way to track your uh, location and your behavior. So if AI, you know, sees that instead of going to work, you're going to the bar 
or if you're you know instead of uh you know going to pick your kids up at school you're um you know you're going to get a fix or you haven't left the house yet like it, it's it starts to track your patterns and notices when there's a break in pattern which then allows the ai to notify you or someone else to be notified to check in on you which i think is it's scary and terrifying but also uh cool if used if used in an appropriate manner and not used to track and control uh, someone else um, but i just thought it was fascinating that the more that we can communicate with ai personally then the more personal ai can be for us so it's not just spitting out these uh random ideas and thoughts and means of uh, of what's your next action uh, or means of communication. Uh, and that was the big thing I got from the, the suicide AI. He also mentioned that global suicide rates are decreasing, but they're up 40% in the United States, which I, I thought was uh, uh, fascinating because, you know, America's viewed as this first world country, uh, and yet there's still so much pain and despair that's taking place. And I think part of that is um, there's a fracture in how we are connected with each other. Like we're more connected online, but I feel like we're becoming less connected uh, physically in person. I, you know, that's why I love to go to the farmer's markets and sporting events and concerts to remind me that, in person, in real life, is the best thing ever. I mean, I just saw like Taylor Swift, her concert, they're now showing it in movie theaters, which I think is great and, you know, it'll be sold out and people will go and enjoy it. But I hope this doesn't replace the real life experience of going to a concert, being surrounded by thousands of screaming fans and people who are singing in unison to her music. I mean, this is any concert. And and I'll say this, what I do see is an uptick in concerts though. I like LL Cool J, a lot of hip hop artists are starting to go back on the road. A lot of people from the 80s and 90s are having this resurgence in their career because I think we are all craving human contact and we're craving um, our some of those childhood memories that brought us together. And I, and I know that you know some of my listeners are in their twenties and thirties. You're like, "Hello, Cool J, what?" Um, but it's just this idea that we have to be proactive and pro-social about engaging in the world around us. And I know these tickets are insane. the The cost of going to a concert today is preposterous, which is why I think now they're showing them in movies. But even just going to a park, right? Going to a coffee shop or a bookstore, anywhere where there are people around, uh, just going for a walk, uh, just to be around people. I, I love the people watch. Sometimes walking down a street is a, a bit stressful, depending on where you live. But I do find going to a beach or you know just sitting at the beach or at a park or at a coffee shop or even a hotel lobby. Um, it's very soothing just to watch people come and go. It's kind of like you're in a fish tank, right? 
So, you know, he didn't go into why the number is uh, at 40%, but uh, I, to, to me, I think that's, that's part of it. Also, I also wonder if it's because of our healthcare system where so many people are living with physical pain, chronic pain, and it can become unbearable and unmanageable. And a lot of countries have, you know, I don't want to say free healthcare because they're paying for it in taxes, but their access to healthcare uh, financially is a bit more uh, accessible, so to speak, financially at least. Where here, it's like if you get sick, and then you look at the cost of, uh, of you know, of getting healed or getting better uh, of the medical treatment. You go, oh, I'm just, gonna, I'll just deal with the being sick. I'll just deal with the pain. I went to the doctor, the dentist, the other day, just to have a tooth, a tooth pulled is was five hundred dollars, and that was just a tooth. I can't imagine, like, if it's your leg or an arm, like that. That's such a crazy number for a tooth. (laughs) So when we look at the research on why the number of suicides might be up in America, according to Case and Deaton 2017, they suggested that the increases in suicide rates, OUDs, opioid overdose, alcohol-related deaths can be framed as a result of a long process of erosion of the American middle class, especially regarding middle-aged men and those with low educations by means of the progressive loss of key components of the well-being of the working class, such as job stability. Um, However, it has been difficult to provide compelling evidence to back that hypothesis. But I will say, when you look at how hard it is for someone who is in the middle class and middle-aged to find a job that can not only support them but their family, I can understand the seeking of an escape or release or a way out because the, the two things that we are taught, especially as men in America, is to provide and protect. And if we don't have a job, if we're not making enough money that allows us to provide, and we are experiencing physical pain, chronic pain, back aches, we've been injured on the job, now we feel like we can no longer protect, that those are the two identities that we've grown up with. And this also, when we think about the erosion of the middle class, uh, we're seeing uh, a growth in, upper class and lower class people where you see uh, the number of homeless people increasing, the number of wealthy people increasing, and our middle class is, is shrinking over time. With that erosion of the middle class is also goes back to the erosion of physical connectivity. Because if you're not going to work, then you're not really socializing. You're not getting out the house. You, there's a loss of purpose and direction, a loss of feeling useful and like you can contribute. So what, what do we do there? What, what's the, the, the antidote to this? It really becomes, it seems like it's about adapting and adjusting. And what I mean by that is 
the the workplace is no longer what it was back in the day where you had the water cooler talk, you could hang out, everybody was there. With COVID, now more people are working from home or they're working remotely. You know, I myself, uh, you know, I can do this podcast from anywhere in the world. The, the technology now is there where we don't have to show up and be face-to-face. Everything is on Zoom. So even if you do have a job, even if you do have a career and you're making money, the, the socializing that we used to have from, you know, uh, commuting to work, because some of us used to do that, that group uh, commuting to work where, you know, uh, you had that one person who picked up one or two other people and you all drove in to work together. And so you had the, you had the, the morning chat on the way. And then at lunchtime, you had the lunch break where you got to check in with each other and, and kind of de-stress and vent and, and connect and see what people were watching. You know, what are you watching? What are you reading? And how's your day? And, you know, checking in. How's your family? Those kind of things where you knew that at least once a day someone was going to, you know, check in on you, talk to you, uh, that you're going to have conversations, some, some face-to-face, one-on-one, and group contact. And now with the working at home, we don't have that as much. And so we have to be more proactive. Now we have to work to get what work was giving us. Meaning, um, now that I'm not, I'm working home, we're working remotely. Now I have to like sign up for different groups and meetings so I can get that physical or or social uh, aspect to my life where you know, maybe I'm joining a book club or taking a martial arts class, yoga class. Uh, but in all these things, what's ironic is those things cost money. So, you know, now we're not making big money from our career, but now we're asked to spend more money to get what our job was traditionally giving us. Um, and then, you know, working from home, nine times out of ten, we're probably eating more. We're sitting more because when you had a job, you had to, you know, you had to. Sometimes you had to get up to go talk to somebody in an office and uh, run, you know, uh, run a fax off, um, or you know, you had meetings in different rooms or on different floors. So maybe you took the stairs. So the the lack of exercise and physical mobility that comes with working from home or working remotely. Now we're not getting that endorphin release. We're not. We're not getting as much sunshine because we're not outside. And all these things impact our mental health. The, 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 the social aspect, the physical aspect, and even the, the spiritual aspect of you know, having some space between your work and your home. That, that space where you can connect with yourself. There, you know, I love being in my car, I mean, I hate sitting in traffic. I hate long commutes, absolutely. However, the upside was it, it gave me time to think. It gave me time to think about what my needs and wants are. It gave me times to plan for the future. You know, what do I, where do I want to be a week from now, tomorrow, uh, a year from now, all those things. However, if I'm home too much, if I'm in my little bubble, my brain doesn't really expand out into the big picture thinking. 
it doesn't really visualize myself, uh, you know, going on trips, attending concerts, spending time with family, visiting family, uh, you know, all those things that require us to plan for the future. You know, maybe another uh, uh, executing on a business idea. Um, and so even from a, a learning perspective, you, we, we're not, you know, listening to a podcast is great, and I appreciate you listening to this and listening to audiobooks and YouTube. That's wonderful. But we also learn by watching what other people are doing. We also learn by watching what, you know, hearing what other people are saying and, and the, the flow of information that you get when you're at a physical job, the back and forth, that can really help stimulate our brains. Also, the exposure to different cultures and smells and, oh, what is that? I mean, in a workplace, you typically have people of different cultures and backgrounds are bringing in different foods. They're celebrating the holidays a little differently. So you're getting to learn about different cultures and uh, aspects of life that then in turn can possibly influence your life. And also you're, you're learning about how to conduct business in different ways because it's quicker to ask a person a question than to Google it. Yes, you can Google this and that, but then what happens when you get on Google? You get hijacked by some ad or a video, so now you're clicking on that, and then you're off to the races for the next five minutes or five hours looking at um, you know, TikTok videos. Uh, or is that just me? <laughs> so at work, being at work really allows us also to focus. It's the practice of focusing, right? Because your boss is right there. There are cameras everywhere. They can count the keystrokes on your, on your laptop or keyboard. So that ability to hyper-focus, and I don't want to say hyper-focus. That, that sounds too much. So when I think about America and this spike in the suicide rates up 40%, I, I, I think about our lifestyle. I think about how much harder we have to work how much intentional we have to be to create a well-rounded, healthy lifestyle in order to be physical and physically engaged, uh, emotionally engaged, psychologically engaged, to, to, to learn, to, to tap into our, our inner selves spiritually. Um, all these different things that are now being outsourced to us, you know, um, and, and these are challenges. They're not unsolvable problems. These are things that if we sit down and we think about, okay, out of the six areas of my life, my physical, occupational, social, spiritual, emotional, and mental, um, what, what do I need to, to improve on? You know, if my health is good, okay, uh, I'm getting exercise every day, I'm going for a walk, all right, we don't have to deal with that. That's locked in. Occupationally, if I have a job and it's making enough money for me to provide, I don't have to think about that. Socially, how am I doing socially? Am I getting out? Am I meeting new people? Am I engaging with people? Am I attending meetings and clubs? And am I people watching? Am I visiting friends? Am I, am I inviting friends to visit me? Like really clicking through your progressions to see where can we improve? And, and this is not something that, you know, 
can be done in a day or a week or a year. This is this is this is about building up and the life that we want. And and I want to say the life, the pieces of our lives that we recognize are starting to atrophy or shrink, right? So instead of letting those those six areas of our wellness shrink, it's a question of how can we expand those areas so that we can engage and move forward. I didn't really think I was going to talk that long about this one. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you tuning in. And uh, if you found some value in this episode, please share it with one other person. Uh, that way you two can have a conversation about what are your thoughts on AI, right? Do you think that AI is a scary thing? Do you uh, like the fact that AI can track you? Have you used AI in any kind of way? I myself, I love ChatGPT to kind of clean up my uh, my emails and sometimes even my text messages. Um, and, you know, so that when we share things, it allows us to have a conversation, a communication, and then it helps us to build a community. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling the 988 or any of the other 800 numbers. Uh, you can chat, text, talk. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together.